The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to change the world and run with the game changers, you're exactly in the right place. I always say it, I always mean it, and it's always true. Let's see what the buzz is on the street today. Well, the buzz should have been, welcome if you want to clean up the world. Here, I'll tell you what the buzz is. This is a quote from Evan Carmichael writing about Sir James Dyson, the inventor. When I read the quote, you will remember who James Dyson is. Okay, while developing his vacuum, he went through... 5,126 failed prototypes and his life savings over 15 years. But the 5,127th prototype worked and the Dyson brand became the best-selling bagless vacuum cleaner brand in the United States. Oh, my. The key takeaway there is, number one, Sir James Dyson is helping to clean up the world. And number two, the key, real key word for this this episode is prototypes. We covered this recently, a couple of weeks ago, and now we are going to do a deeper dive on part two. So we're talking about prototyping in design thinking. Why do you bother to prototype? Well, come on, before you spend the big bucks, as James Dyson probably did, or before you bring in your, uh, what do they call it, the three house family fools and friends, or if you get a really interested, <clears throat> excuse me, angel investor, well, you want to test your ideas. Yes, you do. And you want to retest them. Yes, you do. And you want to answer the key question to whether it's your idea or somebody else's idea. Did I understand what you want or need? So how do designers, creators, and innovators do all of this? They use a variety of prototyping styles and techniques to design which ideas to carry forward, that's one decision, which ideas to send back for, nah, we didn't get it quite right, we better change this, change that, that's called an iteration, or which to send back, blow up, and start all over again. Those are the key questions that designers, creators, and innovators use prototypes to decide. So we have a panel who was with us a few weeks ago. They're back. They are smart, savvy, insightful, and you're going to continue to learn with them, as I will. Let me tell you who they are, and then we'll get started. First up, we're welcoming back Matt Gorbett, G-O-R-B-E-T, if you're looking for him. He's one half of the strategic design duo at Gorbett Design. Joining him on the panel is Gavin Quinn, 
founder and chief technologist at Mindset, and he'll remind us again what they do, as well as Matt Gorbett will tell us about his company. And rounding out the panel is Anastasia Stauffenberg, Senior Business Manager for UX at SAP in Germany, my colleague. Now, let's see what Matt Gorbett has sent us this time for his opening quote. Well, we're going to the theater of the absurd for this one. Actually, uh, uh, yes, Eugene Ionesco is the author, the playwright, who is being quoted here today. He was a Romanian-French playwright who mostly wrote in French and one of the foremost figures of the French avant-garde theater. Uh, Beyond ridiculing the most banal, or banal if you like to say it that way, situations, Ionesco's plays depict the solitude and insignificance of human existence in a tangible way. You may remember his play, The Ball Soprano, from back in 1950. How about The Chairs, 52, and Rhinoceros in 1959, among many, 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 many others. And here is the quote Matt has selected. It is not the answer that enlightens, but the question. Matt Gorbett, welcome back. How have you been? I've been great. It's nice to be back. Glad to have you. Now, are, did you tell me something uh, personal about, about Ionesco's plays? Talk to me. <laughs> yes, well, Ionesco is a, a favorite of mine, and I actually did get the opportunity to perform in Rhinoceros when I was in college, so that was uh, quite an experience. We want to know what part you played, Matt. I became a rhinoceros halfway through the play. (laughs) (laughs) Can you just give us a a 30-second overview of what the play was actually about? Such a provocative title, obviously. Oh, well, actually, it's a, it's a wonderful play. For those who don't know, uh, Ionesco is a, he, he practiced a theater of absurd, although he hated mm-hmm. that title, but he wrote these plays that really sort of put on stage very baldly a concept that sort of defies convention. So Rhinoceros was a, it was a, it was an anti-fascist play, actually, uh, be, be about looking around at the world and seeing how the people around you can slowly change without even noticing. And in this case, people were changing into rhinoceroses. So quite a, Quite a strong statement that Ionesco managed to make with that one. Very interesting. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that. So talk to me, how does this quote relate to prototyping? It is not the answer that enlightens, but the question. It's very deep, Matt, very profound. So what does it mean for modern-day design thinking and prototyping? Well, it's a lot like what we were talking about last week in that prototyping, to me, is all about asking questions. When you make a prototype, what you're doing is you're really asking yourself and the people around you, what do I know? How does it work? How well does it work? What don't I know? Which is kind of the big piece of it. And it's Mm -hmm. asking those questions and making something real through a prototype that really helps you to understand what it is you're doing and how you should change it or how you should fix it or what you've missed. So all of those things, to me, it's not about searching for answers. It's about figuring out what the question is and how to ask the right question. So that's, Thank uh, you very much. And, and that's a mantra in life in general. Shouldn't it be asking the right question? Harder than, asking, harder than answering it, for sure. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, what is Jeopardy? Je- the TV show Jeopardy. They give you the answer and you have to ask the right question. True? <laughs> yes, well said. I'm, thank you. I've been trying to figure out why they called it Jeopardy because any game show, you put your money and your reputation and your wisdom at risk. This is about what's the question will give you the answer. And I can't, I can't figure out why they named it Jeopardy because it's no more or less jeopardizing than any other game show. But obviously the name stuck. Thank you. Thank you, Matt, for coming back. And let's turn out to our second panelist, Gavin Quinn, founder and chief technologist at Mindset. And Gavin has sent us a quote from a gentleman named Donald A. Noy. 
Norman. I had to look this one up. Uh, interestingly, he's the former director of the Institute for Cognitive Science at the University of California. And he reveals how smart design is the new frontier in this primer. His book, I'll tell you in a moment, is a primer or primer on how and why some products satisfy customers while others just frustrate us. So there's two sides to this book. He wrote The Design of Everyday Things, which has been called D-O-E-T, Design of Everyday Things. Do the math in your heads, kids. He's considered a cognitive scientist and usability engineer. But, and I don't know if Gavin knows this, I bet he does. In 1988, the book was first published with the title, The Psychology of Everyday Things, and it was called P-O-E-T for Poet, Psychology of Everyday Things. And his academic peers told Donald A. Norman, Nah, we think the new title is better because it will attract more readers, and in fact, it really did. So here is the quote Gavin has selected from Donald A. Norman. A brilliant solution to the wrong problem can be worse than no solution at all. Solve the correct problem. Gavin Quinn. This is great in conjunction with the UNESCO quote that your colleague on the panel just picked. How are you, Gavin? Great. Thanks so much for having me today. We are delighted. So talk to me about this quote. I like the way these are all tying up together. Go ahead. Yeah, it does tie a little bit back now that I think about it. So Donald Norman, he was a, a, sort of a hero of us in, in design school when I was, I was doing that about a decade or so ago. Um, and this quote just really spoke to me. Um, so much of what he teaches is about you know, going through that whole design practice, but you know, really trying to understand the problem you're, you're really trying to solve. And so often in software design today, we just jump right to solutioning. We sort of take guesses at the problem we're trying to solve and take stabs at it, and then, and then spend many, many months just designing, 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 assuming that we're solving the right problem. And so um, what I love about prototyping is that, you know, you kind of turn this around and keep asking those questions and testing, are we actually solving um, something that matters to people? Are we actually going to make a difference for them? So um, it does really tie back to, to Matt's quote a little bit that, you know, that, that we really need to get back to the why. And I, I, that, I think that's just really important for design. Thank you very much. And did you know that the book was alternately called Poet versus Doet? Were you aware of that? I was not. No, thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. I did more research on my own book, but uh, no. Well, that's that. okay. No, that's okay. I, it's part of my pleasure before these shows to look up the sources of the quotes, and I do the Wikipedia usually and take a look, and I will copy the whole thing and then scan it for interesting trivia, and, and I delight in surprising my panelists sometimes on what they didn't know about the source of the quote. So thank you, Gavin. That was a great one, really good. And now let's welcome Anastasia Stauffenberg, Senior business manager for UX at SAP Germany, and she has picked a quote from Tom Wujek, W-U-J-E-C. I hope I pronounced his name right. He's still with us. He was born in 1959, the author and editor of several books. He's a fellow at Autodesk, an adjunct professor at Singularity, professor at Singularity University, a multiple TED conference speaker, and a pioneer in the emerging practice of business visualization. Let me read you the titles of his four books. I think you'll all find this interesting. 1988, he wrote Pumping Ions, 
I-O-N-S, not irons, pumping ions, games that exercise to flex the mind. 1995, he wrote Five Star Mind, Games and Puzzles to Stimulate the Imagination. 2002, he wrote Return on Imagination, Realizing the Power of Ideas, co-authored with Sandra Muscat. And in 2011, he wrote Imagine, Design, Create, How design, Designers, Architects, and Engineers are Transforming Your World. He's all over the world giving keynotes and workshops. Here is the quote, Anastasia has picked from Tom Wujek. Prototyping is the conversation you have with your ideas. Anastasia, this is a wonderful quote. It's beautiful. Questions and answers, and now we've morphed into conversation. So, Anastasia, welcome back. How have you been? I am fine and very happy to be back again and having the chance to talk to you today. And I'm wondering that uh, the three quotes are somehow fitting to each other very well. So it's crazy. We didn't know about (laughs) each other. (laughs) That's right. And and that's Uh, why, Anastasia, that's why I ask my guests, and this is information for our listeners around the world, when I ask the guests to send me an opening quote and to send me their statements for the roundtable, the topics under the episode topic that they really want to talk about, this is all done independently. This is not rehearsed. We don't get together in one big room and put Gavin at one seat and Matt another, Anastasia and, and me perhaps at the head of the table or, or a square table and nobody's at the head of the table and say, okay, what do we want to talk? This is not a collective effort. So, Anastasia, it's always lovely when all three quotes happen to be huh, around, so well aligned with each other around the topic. So talk to me. Are you a big fan of Tom Wujak? Have you read any or all of his books? Uh, actually, I have not read his books, but I've seen the YouTube videos, and we all know this uh, great marshmallow challenge. He's a great speaker and great performer on the stage, and I love to use the marshmallow challenge as a fun exercise if we kickstart workshops. And uh, recently, I saw by accident this draw toast challenge he talks about, and this is a technique he developed, and it was so fun that I looked him uh, up and I have ordered two of his books you mentioned because I want to know more about this guy or what he has to say. And I I like his way of um, being so passionate on stage and how he teaches the the design paradigms and the collaboration techniques is, is great and very easy to understand and to follow. Anastasia, would you do me a favor, please, and tell us what the Marshmallow Challenge is for those out there in our audience who may not know or may not remember. What was it, or what is it? Uh, Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that we often start design thinking workshops with some fun exercises, or we do it after lunch break to just uh, avoid that people fall fall apart and, and get asleep. So you have um, a couple of um, marshmallows, spaghetti, and um, you have to uh, tile them up and build like a tower uh, with uh, these um, uh, things. And you Mm -hmm. have 18 minutes in a group. It's a great collaborative exercise. So you are forced to uh, work with your colleagues or with your fellows. And this is the, the best thing to show how you cannot do things on your own, but only with trial and error and build prototypes. So it's fun because uh, the groups are looking at each other and uh, they try to compete and it's great. So I I thought that this is one of the most uh, used um, 
yeah, techniques or fun exercises, warming up exercises. Very important. Now, now tell me about, let, let's do a little dive into this quote. Prototyping is the conversation you have with your ideas. That sounds like talking to yourself, but not about do I feel happy or sad today or, or why am I not gaining weight or why am I not losing weight? It's about the ideas for a product, a solution, an invention. So at what point does the prototyping get out of your head, that conversation, and into a real physical prototype. Are there people, Anastasia, you've observed perhaps who just stay in this comp? Well, should I or shouldn't I? Should it be tall or should it be short? Should it be black or should it be blue? Uh, at what point do they actually get to the physical part of the prototype? Yeah, you see, um, when I saw first this uh, quote, I thought uh, I had the Im- image of a person like a multiple personality and talking to uh, himself. <laughs> The next thing was that I said, yeah, um, every day we have uh, challenges or things um, occur to us and we start having an idea because um, normally we are solution-driven. And this mm-hmm. is also that we start um, thinking in in uh, solutions and yeah, talking about ideas to ourselves, in our mind. And we have then an inspiration or a vision, but often we leave it in our head somewhere at the back because we don't have time or whatever kind of reason may be there. And this is a waste. So um, what I like about this uh, sentence is that uh, it reminds me that we should take more often the time to share the ideas, even if it sounds silly. And if we share them with at least one person, it, they mm-hmm. start to get a life. So you bring them to life. You give them a, a shape somehow. If you leave them in your mind, they, they are somewhere, somewhere gone. And if you then manage to work on them, you, you will come to a, a yeah, maybe solution. And it can mm-hmm. be also quickly done. And not only in a workshop or whatever, it can be a small thing. So if you work on them collaboratively and try to visualize them, you will see a value. Most of the time you get a value and you come from one idea to the other and you see also what people, how they react and what they feel, what they think and what kind of images you create in their heads. And this is um, the best thing about it. Thank you very much, Anastasia. Love the quote. Love the quote from all three of you. Let's circle back to Matt Gorbit, and we're going to make it a three-part up close and personal instead of just what's in your cup today. Where are you calling from? What's in your cup? And tell us a little bit about Gorbit Design. Matt Gorbit, you're up first. All right. Uh, well, to your first question, I'm calling from Toronto. It is a lovely spring day, a little bit overcast, but as I look outside, the blossoms on my trees are blooming, and it's making me happy. Um, so in terms of what's in my cup, well, what's in my cup right now is actually a glass of water, but I am looking forward to the brighter, sunnier spring days when we can go out on the back patio, and my go-to drink for bright, sunny mornings will be a lovely cold-brewed iced coffee right out of the fridge uh, with a little mm. vanilla almond milk. Tell me in something, Matt. What is cold brew? I see it all, the, all over the place. What is a cold brew? This is so exciting. We just discovered this uh, about a month ago, and it's, uh, you know, it's coffee that you make kind of like tea, only you don't use hot water. You put it in the fridge the night before. You put huh. in the coffee grounds. You pour in cold water, and like magic, 12 hours later, you've got this really nice, mellow, and cold coffee. You can heat it up if you want, 
and drink it like a normal coffee, but in the summertime, it makes a really nice morning refresher. Sounds good. And now tell us a little bit about Corbett Design. What do you do? We are a strategic design firm. So our background is in experience design, so designing experiences for people thinking about how they think and how they're going to react to things and helping to convey ideas and information through experiences. So we started out both online and software, but also with these large-scale, architecturally integrated uh, experiences. And uh, it turns out that a lot of the ways of thinking of experience design in the physical world are really very applicable into the business world. And nowadays we advise companies on strategically uh, integrating design into into their products and into their, their sales cycles and into their internal processes. Very nice, and that's why you're here. Thank you very much. Nice <laughs> to speak to you again, and I'm glad it's a nice sunny day. It's sunny here and very chilly here in New York, but beautiful blue, clear skies. Thank goodness. Who knows? It could rain at any minute. It's been doing that. Gavin Quinn, where are you? What are you drinking? And tell us a little bit about mindset. What do you do? Sure, thanks. So I'm calling from Minneapolis, Minnesota. So um, everybody is quite familiar with how cold it is here, and we just did have snow about five days ago. But luckily, it's it's sunny out today, and we might finally be out of winter. Who knows? Um, but uh, what's in, so what's in my cup today? Uh, so I've been trying to get into tea, and uh, it's just not working for me. So I just went back to coffee again. Um, but coffee is brilliant. And just a quick note on the cold pressed coffee. I love mm-hmm. that. And one of the fun things about cold pressed coffee is there's actually twice the caffeine as regular. So um, I'm with you there, Matt. And so that's and, what. Uh, once it gets warmer <laughs> here, I might be with you. It's the kick um, that matters. So go ahead, Gavin. <laughs> Uh, mindset. Yep. So we're uh, an SAP partner and we focus pretty much exclusively on digital design and development. So really special expertise in design thinking. We've done hundreds of those. Fiori, SAP Cloud Platform, and of course, HANA and Mobile Dev. So um, that, that's our specialty and, and we have a lot of fun with that. I'm very glad you're having a lot of fun with that. We appreciate it. And I know you always can say to people, I have a good mindset, right? <laughs> we often come to conferences, and as people keep accidentally saying mindset, we all ring a little bell or tweet to each other. How many times have that in the day? I had a feeling, and, and now I'm twice as glad that I told you about Donald Norman's book. It used to be Poet, now it's Do It or Do It, and how appropriate to have the right mindset. Of the, forgive me, I'm just having fun with this. Thank you very much, Gavin. Anastasia, where are you calling from? I know we called you, and your connection is wonderful, by the way. And what are you drinking? And tell us a little bit about, little bit about what you do in UX at SAP. Anastasia, go ahead. Yeah, you said the line is wonderful. If I look outside the window, uh, weather is not wonderful at all. We had just a thunderstorm prior to the start of our call. Um, it's raining. I'm in uh, beautiful Waldorf, the headquarter of SAP in Germany. And uh, let me start with my cup. Um, I'm actually uh, detoxing my body since last week. So over the day, I'm drinking tons of healthy herb teas and homemade vegetable juices. And at Mm. the moment, I have mate tea in my cup. I uh, found out that the mate tea is uh, best for me. So I stayed just with uh, this tea, although I'm advised by my doctor to have different kinds of herbal teas. But I stay with mate tea and I, I start loving it more and more. 
So um, when I hear coffee, I start uh, dreaming of a nice big cup of coffee, but it will have to wait the next two weeks. And it's healthy. And yeah, are you and feeling are you feeling deprived or are you feeling are you feeling good? I know you're mentally probably enjoying the challenge and making such good progress, but giving up normal food, how does that feel? I'm just wondering. The first three days, I was really um, dreaming um, of of food of any kind of food. When uh, the first steps of not uh, seeing and not being uh, allowed to eat were really tackling me. But now, after the third day, I started um, not being hungry. And uh, the vegetable juices, since I make them myself, I can put in some um, oil and um, also spices. And I try... Uh, an experiment. I do prototyping with um, different kinds of vegetable juices. My husband says it, get, it gets worse and worse, but if you ask me, it gets better. <laughs> so the taste is getting more and more better, but my husband says, uh, okay, get away from me with all <laughs> what you're doing in the kitchen. <laughs> Oh, that's, that, thank you for sharing that. We've had some other panelists from SAP who were doing a similar, not exactly the same cleanse, and I've always wanted to ask, what does it feel like? I was dreaming about chocolate Kit Kat bars last night. Somebody left me a whole bag of Kit Kat bars on my kitchen counter in my dream, Anastasia, and I had one, and I said, oh, that's enough. One is enough. Very, very sweet. Anastasia, tell us about UX at SAP. What do you do? Uh, so I'm uh, facilitating um, workshops with um, design thinking and user-centered design approaches. So if any kind of um, internal um, line of business or also customers uh, want to start with a new idea, um, I'm part of a team and we are just uh, really dealing with all kinds of uh, challenges. And uh, at the same time, uh, currently I'm helping uh, in our IT organization to set up um, UX uh, user experience as a topic and also to implement it and connect it to the agile transformation which is going on in IT at SAP. Thank you very much. Thank you to our panel for a little bit in depth on who you are and what you do and what you like and what you're eating and drinking. Appreciate it. Our topic is designing the future, prototyping and just about everything. I have a quick shout out to uh, Charlotte Bowie at SAP and I think Jennifer Ford is here somewhere. Charlotte and Jennifer, just so you know, I'm unable to tweet right now. My Twitter screen is up, but it will not allow me to interact at all. So I'm looking at all of your wonderful tweets and I will be, and Jennifer Ford, here you are. I will We'll retweet after the show, but right now I'm unable. My dashboard is not functioning. So I'm thrilled. Just that's a side note to the, the sponsors of this series. We're talking about designing the future, prototyping in just about everything. This is part two of a show we did a couple weeks ago. Thrilled to have Matt Gorbett at, well, Gorbett Design, Gavin P. Quinn. We got the middle initial in there at Mindset. He always has the right one. And Anastasia Stauffenberg at UX at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a really quick break, about 90 seconds, and we'll come back and do a deep dive into more of this wonderful topic about prototyping. If you're a designer, if you're an inventor, if you're a wannabe entrepreneur thinking you have the world's greatest widget or wadget or widget, whatever it is, and you want to bring it to the world, stop, listen, think about 
prototyping. We're going to tell you more about why you have to do it. Send that idea out to the world. Send it back for tweaking a redesign. Scrap it completely. Go back and dream about more vegetable soup. I don't know. And come up with another idea. This should help. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. I promise. Kevin out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When you discuss the future design of any topic, there is one word always present. Connected. As technology opens up the possibility of connection, we need to work together to ensure the ensuing change delivers forward progress to the people involved. Leaders designing a connected future will add another word to the narrative of disruption and innovation, inclusion. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the purposeful design of the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Designing the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to designing the future with Game Changers. Here we are. We're back talking about prototyping just about everything with our esteemed panelists. We have Matt Gorbett at Gorbett Design, Gavin P. Quinn at Mindset, and Anastasia Saufenberg at SAP. And we're going to start the roundtable in earnest with a couple of comments from Matt Gorbett. I'm going to throw three comments into the cauldron here and see what we come up with. And then, Matt, if you take us through these, then we'll quickly get Gavin and Anastasia to chime in, and then we'll pick some topics from the list from Gavin. So, Matt Gorbett says, First, he says, a key ingredient of prototyping is making choices. Then he says, understand the limit of your prototype. And here's a very telling statement. Until you start making a prototype, you don't know what you haven't thought of. Matt Gorbett, tell us more, please. Well, you know, when I talk about making choices, the, the idea of a prototype is that the, when you make a, a prototype, it's like a sketch, and the model you're making is, is obviously not the real thing that you're going to eventually make. So something has been left out of it, left unfinished. And uh, unfinished in this case is really good because when you, when you leave details out, what you're doing is you're leaving space to further develop an idea. And I think uh, what I'm saying by that is that accepting the ambiguity of that and a willingness to kind of to learn from what you're putting down uh, on paper in a sketch or in a prototype if you're building something is 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 really important. That's this. That's the key to understanding uh, what it is that you're that you're making and how it's going to 
to teach you because really that's what a prototype does. So the hardest part then becomes once you've left things out and you know you've left things out, how to evaluate and learn from that prototype. So, you know, as an analogy, um, if you imagine that, say, you're prototyping something that you want to make and it's going to be a, a metal box or it's going to have a metal box in it. So you build that, mm-hmm. but in a prototype, you're just going to do it quickly. You want to figure out how it's going to look, so you build it out of, you know, maybe spray-painted cardboard and tape. But, but if you've got that and you're evaluating how it looks, you don't try to test how strong it is, right, because it's just made out of cardboard. It's not the real thing. So understanding that for a given prototype, you have to test just what you're just what you're testing, and you have to leave out the unfinished and the sketchy details is really, really important. And, uh, you know, too often I- I've, seen, I've seen students who have, um, you know, decided that an idea is worthless because they were prototyping it, and some unfinished aspect of the prototype gets in the way of, of really deciding the piece that they were trying to test and what it means. So this idea of kind of suspending your disbelief, understanding what mm-hmm. the rough edges are, and testing the right pieces is really quite important when you, when you build a prototype. It, it sounds like it takes a lot of discipline, but also, Matt, before I bring in Gavin and, and Anastasia, maybe they'll comment on my question to you, is do you need somebody to teach you how to do prototypes and have that discipline and that curiosity? Matt, yes or no? Do you need to hire somebody to do it for you? <laughs> I, think, I think working with someone who has a lot of experience in prototyping can be hugely beneficial but like most of this stuff, if you do enough of it and you do it iteratively, you're going to learn what you don't know, which, again, is the essence of prototyping. Thank you very much. Gavin P. Quinn, let's get your comments, please, on what Matt just introduced to us. Go ahead, Gavin. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting topic is, you know, what is that right scope of the prototype? You know, I think that the goal of the prototype, of course, is to try to get an answer to your question as fast as possible. Um, mm-hmm. And you need to think a little bit about, you know, what is that goal? Is it is to create a viable product, a marketable product, a usable product, or to just solve a problem? And I think going in, you want to have a good sense of what you're trying to solve. Um, I think w- what's, what, again, is very interesting about this overall sort of prototyping process is, is how do you know if you've gone far enough? You know, what is that scope? You know, and it, you want to do it as fast as you can, but have you built something big enough to actually get to your goal? And I think that's probably one of the most challenging parts. And, and a little bit to your comment about is that prototyping experience um, required? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we've validated that prototyping is very important, and I think there's some good practices in it. But I think having the experience or so that understanding to to determine, you know, what is that scope, how we're going to get to that end goal, I think that's really the key to to success in the prototyping part of the process. Thank you. Anastasia, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. What do you think? Hire somebody to prototype, and what do you do? Yeah, um, let me answer with an example uh, we had um, recently uh, with an engagement we uh, had to go through, let's say. It, it was a great experience also for me. We had a bunch of developers, and they were from a customer, and they were convinced that they were doing the right things. So um, they developed a couple of apps, and in business, it's easy. You know that there, there is a process, and there is a, an end user who has a set of tasks to fulfill. So they started developing, and they did some kind of uh, end user um, requirement gathering and so on. But when they started rolling out, um, 
people refused to use what they rolled out. So we were asked to do a review on what they did, and I said, no, it doesn't work that way. We will teach mm. them. And our task was then to train them on really the basics of UCD and design thinking process and so on. So we set up a workshop, and end of the first day was horrible. Um, they told us, the, these developers told us, we know all that, what you're talking about. We do all that, and we don't need you. Mm. So we asked them to come, please come back on the second day. Then we started differently, and we engaged them. We have had them really starting with um, less theory, more practice, um, thinking about challenges and building uh, prototypes and so on. So to cut the short lot, uh, a long story short, uh, <laughs> they had to test. They prototyped paper prototypes because of the lack of time. And they, uh, they had to go out and have um, end users testing without giving them any kind of, of course, um, hints on how to use what they had as a paper prototype. So mm -hmm. guess what? No one could do anything with these prototypes they presented, and they gone. They were gone mad. What <laughs> at the end of the day we showed them is how important it is to not only do the right things, but rather do the things right. So this is a huge difference, and this is what they understood. This was their biggest learning. They just understood that <coughs> gathering requirements the, the, uh, on their way was not the right way. And how you use them then to build a prototype is also a different uh, thing. So I think that, yeah, in the beginning, you need someone who is experienced and can guide you through the uh, techniques, but also shadow you for in your first two, three, four prototypes. Thank you, Anastasia. Great information. Uh, Matt, I'm going to circle back to you just briefly for a quick comment. Anything you want to add to what Gavin and or Anastasia said before I move on to some very interesting additional thoughts on this from Gavin's well, absolutely. list? Absolutely. Um, you, you mentioned discipline, Bonnie, and, mm -hmm. and I think yes. this idea of, of using a tool like prototyping with a certain kind of discipline, recognizing that, that, that the beauty of the tool and the reason that you're making these prototypes is to get out of your head and get out of your own assumptions. And I think Anastasia's story really beautifully illustrates this because it's human nature to think you know the answer already and then spend all your time trying to validate how right you were. And I think if that's your approach, you're not going to get very far with a prototype. What you really want to do is make the prototype, step back from it, and let the prototype itself speak and teach you and illustrate those pieces that you, don't, that you didn't know, uh, that you didn't already have. So. Yeah, it forces Thank us to you, get Matt. out of our heads and consider things we might overlook. That's a perfect, you didn't even know it, you gave me a perfect segue into some notes I'm looking at from Gavin's list, Gavin P. Quinn. Gavin, I'm going to bring up two of the topics you, you sent me before the show, and I think this is a perfect way of looking at the human side. Number one, you talk about a golden thread 
understand the story even before you prototype. And you talked about working at Apple and Cupertino on a design project, project, and they introduced you to the golden thread, telling an emotional story from start to finish of how a person achieves their goal, which is considered the journey of the user. That's number one. The second part of the human way we're going to look at this, Gavin, is you say, test your prototype on real end users in a real environment, not just a lab, because of biases. You are biased. Okay, you designed it. You want it to work. Your project sponsors are biased. They have an agenda, financial or otherwise. The IT and tech teams, if it's a tech project, are biased, right? And you're saying you got to go into real life. So can you weave these together into the human approach, Gavin? I'd love to have you do that. Well, yeah. No, thank you for that that introduction there. I mean, it's... I do love this golden thread concept that, that you touched on there, and it's not something I actually had done, so I'll give credit to Apple's design team for that one, definitely. But about a month or so ago, I was out there, and and it, usually when I'd done these these um, sort of design practices, design thinking uh, sessions and so on, um, you know, we, we went through the whole practice of empathy and, and um, you know, sort of identifying a problem to solve and a point of view and so on and so forth. But we never really told that emotional story. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though we would start to get to know the users, we would not necessarily um, create it in this sense that it, that it resonates in a day in the life of a person. And so what they did is they sort of grounded us in this process where we would really tell a story of, hey, you know, Joe, the, the truck driver, arrives at the plant and, you know, he's, he just got off of a long shift and he pulls open um, his iPad and needs to check in and, and so forth. And, um, you know, they kind of talk about, you know, setting up the problem, going through, and then, wow, now his day is better because he was just able to save time. Um, mm-hmm. And that's sort of that golden thread concept that, you know, you're, you're solving it in the lens of a real person in a real place. And then extending that to, to prototyping with these real end users. And you, you kind of nailed the points as to the different bias. You know, I come mm-hmm. from a tech team, and even though I'm I, or a tech background, but also a design background. Um, and I think just really hitting that tech bullet point a little bit harder, um, so much of the design, particularly enterprise software, today is really designed by tech people. And I think mm-hmm. they're especially uniquely unqualified because they, they're trained in tools, whether they're trained in SAP or a certain skill, call it Java or iOS or what have you. Um, and they just are, are all about solutions than trying to form a, a problem around that solution. So I don't know, there's a mm-hmm. quote, we've even said it on a previous show, that you know, if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything around you looks like a nail. Um, yep. you know, and I think that I think that's so spot on. And so when we, when we combine all these things together, get real end users, get real stories about what we think we want to solve, really understand the question, and then test it in real environments with real people, all of these things just come together and germinate in, in hopefully a really nice solution. Thank you very much. Good introduction to the human side. And Anastasia, I'd love to get your thoughts on the biases part, on the golden thread, the emotional journey of the user. What do you observe, Anastasia? I fully uh, agree to that. And as a Greek, um, by nature, emotions are an essential part of my personality. So uh, this is also a thing I try in each workshop to bring up the emotions of people and help our um, workshop fellows to understand that 
a user has always an emotions when using whatever we try to come up with as a solution or app or whatever. And we also, during the user journey mapping, we uh, talk about, as you just said, uh, the feelings, uh, mm-hmm. feels um, pain, feels really pissed, whatever, because every time she enters the system, this and that happened, and she wishes, she wishes that this would be different and so on. So this is an essential part, and I only can uh, underline that it's very important to unveil and unleash the emotions in us and be empathetic, really empathetic with our users. Very interesting. While you're speaking, uh, Gavin and Anastasia, I'm thinking back to when I was uh, an avid viewer of the TV show called Shark Tank. And very often, you know, the producers are looking, obviously, for emotional impact and wow and the personality or lack thereof of the people who come on the show. So they're not always interested in in if the product is going to be a success. That's what makes it so much fun to see the acceptances, meaning we'll throw money at you versus the rejections. But what, what intrigues me is when the Panel of sharks, big-time investors who made their money through their own in their own entrepreneurship or just knowing when to buy or sell the right companies. When they say, "I don't see that you're really solving a problem," and I'm guessing Gavin and Matt and Anastasia that these people maybe used a very small, maybe very biased population to test out their idea, and their idea was what they were trying to prove rather than what is that human journey. In other words, if, if uh, Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary says, I don't know who would want to use this, you know, we already have 20 other things we use, and, and maybe uh, uh, Mark Cuban says, there's no market for this. Did they forget that step, Anastasia, to take a look and say, would people, real people really use this? What do you think? This is um, a good question. So <laughs> I was immediately thinking when, when I uh, listened to you now, I, I was thinking about um, emotions in, in life. So it's all triggered and you see um, ad- advertising and also salespeople, they, they work with our emotions. Um, yes. Imagine a woman and passing by a shoe store. Uh, we can live perfectly with what we have, but when we see one pair of shoes, one particular pair of shoes, we suddenly discover that we, we would die without being able to go in and buy it. And why? Because there is something about the um, outfit of the, um, the, the layout of the uh, window and whatever kind, something which attracts us. And the same happens also with all the things we we are forced to use in business life. Uh, mm-hmm. If we don't like it, we will not um, work with a passion and not be as successful. So it's all, all, always a connection of many, many small pieces. And with a prototype, we um, ideally we will cover and balance all the aspects. Thank you, uh, Matt Gorbett. I want to get you to chime in because I want to touch on just a few more topics from Anastasia's list that we didn't cover in exactly her words, which are lovely. Uh, Matt, any questions, any comments on what we just discussed? The human, sure. the I mean, biases. I think, I think this, mm-hmm. this um, piece about emotion is so, so critical and ties back to the, our original conversation about knowing which question you're asking and knowing mm-hmm. which parts of the prototype are you really testing. It's, and this is where I think um, understanding 
there's a whole art and a whole sort of industry and profession of how to ask the right questions, how to approach a, a user who you understand is going to be emotional or a, or a customer who you understand is going to have these emotions and present them with something and evaluate the bits and pieces that you want to be evaluating without letting the rest get in the way. So again, I'm just going to pull it back to that, which is, you know, if you make the thing blue just by default and you're really trying to test you know, the layout on the screen, but the person mm -hmm. responds to the blue emotionally, then you're not testing what you thought you were testing. It's really important That's to understand right. that there's all kinds of things about a prototype that can either get in the way or help you out. Thank you, and I'm going to thank you, Matt, and I'm going to go to some topics here in Anastasia's list. We have about four minutes till we go to predictions, but we'll, we'll keep those very short today. Anastasia, you have a very quotable comment here. You say, design truly is a contact sport. That's number one. I'm going to weave it in with two more. Number two, you say remembering a visualization, thus a prototype, is much easier than remembering a full text about your idea. And number three, I love this one, the best, Anastasia. If I had to pick, you say treat the prototype as a gift without the appropriate packaging and silk ribbons. Talk to me, Anastasia. These are designed truly as a contact sport. Why don't you quickly tell us what that means? Yeah, uh, you see, any kind of contact sport affords um, a lot of concentration. You have to be really um, performing in time. Uh, all your senses have to be only at that task. And the same happens uh, when you prototype. If you just do it on the fly, it doesn't work. So you have really to have... Um, the space which is uh, allowing you to be creative doesn't have to be too fancy, but just giving you the um, the comfort uh, or the feel of comfort, and then also concentrate yourself and get rid of all kind of other thoughts. At least for the time, you're trying to bring your idea to to life and to give them a shape. Your ideas have to start living. And this is exactly what uh, also the um, um, the other uh, quote I found or the other statement I have found, uh, the gift uh, part is, um, if you just have a, a prototype which is not um, done with passion, people who see it, they feel it. If you don't have it done mm -hmm. very... Um, yeah, precisely, or with with something which others feel. We are back to emotions. Uh, this is the this missing packaging and silk ribbon. If you just get the let's say the ring, it's not that uh, exciting. Then if you have to unwrap it, and some people unwrap for ages. Uh, sometimes I don't know if you know uh, people who take their time to unwrap the paper and so on. So if mm. we uh, see at first sight what it is about, it's, um, it's gone. The um, excitement is gone and the customer experience is uh, something uh, similar. Yeah, you, you, you have a completed uh, prototype um, if it's really finalized and well thought. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, and, and I want to thank uh, 
Gavin, while you're listening, you retweeted you tweeted a quote we used on a show yesterday here on Game Changers. Perfect quote from SAP CEO Bill McDermott. Anastasia, I don't know if you've heard this one. It's everything has to start with empathy for the end user. That's right. That's something I tweeted yesterday uh, when we had uh, Chandran Saravana and David Yonker talking about, what were we talking about? Machine learning. Yes. Machine learning trends, uh, the intelligent enterprise. Thank you for that. I'm still unable to tweet, but I'm going to have my hands full retweeting everything from Charlotte and Jennifer and Gavin after I get reset here. Okay, we are in the crystal ball predictions round. Let's do a quick round of 60 seconds each. Matt Gorbit, take a look at around 2020 if we had this conversation again, and I hope we'll have it many times before then. What will change about the world of prototyping? The approach, the questions and answers, the packaging, the biases, uh, the people who do it well, the people who learn to do it well. Give us something prophetic, 60 seconds, Matt Gorbett, go. All right. So I think the thing is that right now we're, we're in a funny stage with innovation and digital transformation where everyone wants to do something, something unique and, and game-changing, but to approve the projects kind of at the executive or management level, they turn around and they say, we want to see that this has worked somewhere else. Or we want to see benchmarks mm-hmm. or best practices. We want, to, we want to understand that this is going to work. We're not ready to take that risk. And I think what we're going to see hopefully, optimistically, slowly and emerging, is a cultural shift towards this, this idea of a comfort with ambiguity and, and realizing and recognizing that prototyping can play a role to, to really understand how something is going to work, even if it's brand new, never been done, and, and really the goal to do innovative, game-changing things. Thank you so much, Gavin P. Quinn. What do you see in the future, Gavin? 60 <clears throat> seconds. Talk to me. Yeah, I was, so I was recently in Barcelona at Mobile World Congress, and I saw Jeff Lawson present. He's the, the founder of, of Twilio, and, among other things. And he had this wonderful presentation about uh, all companies are becoming innovation companies, all companies are becoming software companies. Uh, and I think what he, what he was really getting at there is that companies need to move faster. They need to uh, innovate more quickly. Uh, and I think that all just centers around this concept of um, rapid design, rapid development, design-driven development, and, and it comes down to a lot of prototyping. And so my prediction is that as this whole change happens where people are moving faster and innovating more, prototyping is just going to keep moving more and more to the forefront. And, and hopefully with uh, shows like ours today, it'll drive this whole new group of people into learning to be designers, and, and uh, we'll, we'll have a lot more uh, uh, really great ideas coming, coming to the future. Thank you. I like that, and and thank you for citing that we are trying to get the message out about this is something you can do, you can do it well, and it certainly will help get whatever it is you want to create out to the market and do it well. Anastasia Stauffenberg, what do you predict? How far in the future do you want to look? Do you love 2020 like I do, or you have another future point in time? Anastasia? Oh, 2020 is uh, perfect. Um, Okay. So I see, uh, yeah, as... um, my co-speakers, I see the same um, yeah, technological progress, innovation, everything is very fast. We have to be faster and faster. And my idea is that, um, especially through the um, increasing level of automization of many processes and everything around us, we, will, we might end up in having more room and time to deliberate and reflect. So I hope that 
um, creativity is, at least will be a natural part from now on in three, five years of our daily work. And not only in uh, some cases as it is today, it's not all over the world spread that people can work creatively. Uh, and I hope it will get better and help us cope with uh, challenges we now cannot imagine affecting our lives, but in five years from now will be uh, serious problems. And uh, if we have the time to be creative and have it as a natural behavior, maybe we will also come to the point that complexity is not the solution for all times. And maybe we can go back and start simplifying things again one day. And this will need, for sure, a high level of uh, creative thinking and acting to simplify things again. Thank you very much. Appreciative. The three of you, Matt Gorbett at Gorbett Design, Gavin P. Quinn at Mindset. You always have such a great mindset. I know, Gavin. I'm looking at your smiling picture. And Anastasia Stauffenberg. Thank you so much. I'm going to invite the three of you. Would you like to take this show on the road and come on my Coffee Break with Game Changers flagship series perhaps this summer and do part three? Are you interested, Matt, Gavin, and Anastasia? All together now. Yes or no? Yep, good. Sounds fabulous. Good. Consider yourselves invited yeah. and, and no work, just new quotes and, and we'll just take up uh, more because it's a, a slightly different audience, a bigger audience as well. I have to do a shout out, of course, to Charlotte Bowie and Jennifer Ford. Thank you so much for inviting such savvy guests, wonderful speakers. I can hear their heart is in this, which is so important. And thank you to Kevin at Game, at Game Changers Radio. Well, Voice America almost is these days, Kevin. We have so many shows, 14 series. Oh, my. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much for joining us. And Here's my call to action. And I think somebody needs to reinvent the seatbelt. I think we'll put Gavin and Matt and Anastasia on that one. So fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be like them. Go out and be a game changer today. I promise it'll feel great. Have a good one. We'll be back at 2 p.m. this afternoon with another episode of Live Game Changers Radio. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.